I therefore, a prisoner uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, we ask this morning that Your living and active Word would pierce our hearts. That it would cut through the, the joints and the bones and, and the marrow and that our souls would feel the effects. We know that Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and we know that Your Word does not return void. And we know that Your Spirit illuminates us to the truths of You. And so we ask this morning that You would be gracious to us and that You would help us, that You would encourage us and comfort us, that You would rebuke us and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've made it to the halfway point in this letter. And this halfway point marks a transition for us. In the last three chapters, one through three, we've seen Paul trying to specifically do something for the readers. What Paul has been trying to do is to lay out the reader's identity. He has been trying to remind them again and again and again and again of who they are because of the richness of God's mercy. We saw this start all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3, as Paul lays out all the spiritual blessings that we now receive being in Christ. We see that we were predestined for adoption. That we were redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that we were sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he prays that they would know the hope that they've been called to. Immediately after that, again, Paul goes back into an identity rearrangement. You were this, he says in chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You chased the prince of the air. You chased the passions of your own flesh. You, this is who you were. This is what you desired. But God, being rich in mercy and great in love, He changed you. He rearranged your affections. And this wasn't by your own work. This was by His grace. It was by faith alone. It wasn't by any of your work. And He did this so that way you would walk in the works that He has set before you. And then as we continued reading chapter 2, what do we see even further? 
we see Paul reminding the Gentiles, you were on the outs. You weren't a part of this covenant family. But because of the blood of Christ, he's brought peace between you and God, and he has united you, the Gentiles, and the Jews together. Where you were once on the outside, now you're citizens of this kingdom. Now your family members, your precious daughters and treasured sons, now you are a dwelling place for God. And Paul in chapter 3 then reminds them, I'm counting it worthy to be chained to a Roman jailer right now for your benefit. I've preached this message that unifies Jews and Gentiles and I did it willingly because of the great grace that God has shown me. And then we saw last week how then Paul finishes chapter 3 with a prayer that they would understand and experience more of God's power and more of his love. Do you see the first three chapters of this letter that Paul writes is to help clarify the Christian's identity. So if you're going through an identity crisis, read the, the first three chapters here. Because this is important as we set up the next three chapters, chapters 4 through 6. Paul has been saying over and over again, this is your identity. This is who you are. And now, what he's going to tell them in the next three chapters, four through six, is that Christians, you have been called to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. This is the key concept for today. This is, this is what we see in this passage. As you go from dead spiritually to alive spiritually, you... Christian sitting down right here in the 21st century have been called to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you have been called to. You see, here's, here's the gospel for us. God has done this, now you do this. This has always been the gospel, and if we rearrange these two things, you do this so that way it's done, then we have a works-based idea of the gospel. You, you see this unfold even as God is speaking to Moses. This is how far this gospel goes back. As God delivers Israel from Egypt, do you remember what he tells them? Do you remember what he tells Moses? He tells Moses, because I have done this, because I have freed you from captivity, now do this. Now obey my commands and follow me. This is the same message that we are called to now because this has been done, chapters 1 through 3. Now do this, chapters 4 through 6. God has called you, Christian, to live a life that is in a manner that is worthy of your calling. You know, but here's the temptation for us. This is the temptation for the 21st century, and, and really this has been the temptation for the Christian throughout centuries. In the 21st century, 
we at times can get caught up with putting on the jersey and representing the kingdom and saying we play for this team, but we never actually play for the right team. We talk the talk and we say we're a part of this team, but then we never walk the walk. Let me illustrate it like this. I've played and coached and watched enough basketball for about five lifetimes. And you would not imagine something that seems uncommon is very common. The first time that I experienced this was actually in Black Creek. As Bert puts his head down. <laughs> when I was in middle school, we were playing a basketball game. And the ball was stolen. And what does the other team do? The other team tries to score on the wrong basket. When I was in high school, during a playoff game, one of my teammates scored on the wrong basket. You see this happen more often than what you think if you watch and you coach and you play enough basketball. But what were to happen if you were watching a professional game and let's just say the jersey said the Milwaukee Bucks and that player on the Milwaukee Bucks continued to do things for the wrong team. They continued to play in such a way where it said the team that they played for, and yet they were constantly doing things to help the other team out. They may talk the talk, but they aren't walking the walk. They are not playing for the right team. They may be wearing the right jersey, but how they are living it out does not match up. Is this you? Do you represent the kingdom by just talking the talk? Or do you walk the walk? As Paul is transitioning here in chapters 4 through 6, this is what he is calling this church to. Since you've been born again, now it's time to act like it. Christian, let me say this with as much seriousness as possible. You are to walk in a manner that is worthy of your king. So what does it mean to then walk in this worthiness? Does it mean perfectionism? Does, does it mean that I, I walk in a worthy way when I am perfect? That I can only bring honor and I can only be worthy to walk in this way if I am perfect. And until I walk in perfection, then I can never be worthy. Is this what Paul is calling them to? Some type of perfectionism? That now you need to be perfect and you need to walk in every perfect way that Jesus has now called you to. All of the ways that I've taught you and that I've communicated to you that you now need to do this perfectly and if you do not do this perfectly, then you are not walking in a manner that is worthy. Is that what Paul is 
calling to? Is that what we're called to? This type of legalistic attitude? Maybe what Paul is calling them to is this more kind of uh, modern 21st century way of the giving it the good old college try. You know, Paul, I, I really tried with that sin, but you know what? There's, there's more grace in God, and I'm going to roll the dice, take my chance, and, you know, I tried with this sin. I tried, I tried, I tried. I'm giving it up. I'm giving up because, you know, you're all love and I don't have to worry about it because your word says that God is love and so I'm just going to go, I'm just going to do me and I'm going to live my life and you know what, at least I'm authentic. Is this what Paul is calling his readers to? This good old college try, but I'm just going to give up and not necessarily walk in a, a manner that's worthy at all, but at least I'm being authentic. But I'm not making any progress, but I'm authentic. Churches, is this what we're called to? Are we called to this perfectionism? Or are we called to this, giving it the good old college try, giving up? Oh well, I try. Is this what it means to walk in a manner worthy? Is this what Paul is trying to draw out for the readers here? After all of this identity rearrangement, is he now calling them to this? Is this what he's telling them to walk into? No. He's not calling them to live in this legalistic bubble of perfectionism, and he's not calling them to this antinomianism, which just means it's anti-law. Because I'm saved, what that means is I don't have to obey God's law anymore. He's not calling them to either. What he is calling them to in light of their new identity is to wake up daily and live out their Christian faith. He is saying that you are to wake up and Live like Christ and day by day experience transformation by the renewing of your mind to look more like Christ. And we see in our text that this is an active participation, don't we? He says to walk in a manner worthy. This is an active participation. On Wednesday night, one of the things that we've been talking about at our Bible study is this term called progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification means that each day you are progressing to look more like Jesus. We are to actively participate in this walking worthy. And so it can't be just settling and saying, I give up. But we also know that it's not this perfective state where I can't possibly be worthy until I am perfect. In a simple sentence, walking in a worthy manner is a total life commitment to conforming to Christ. And as we look at chapters 4 through 6, this is what Paul is going to be helping us out with. He's going to be unpacking this for us. He's going to be showing us what it looks like to live in a worthy manner. You see, some people put on the jersey of kingdom citizens. 
and yet then care more about their political party. Or they feel more proud and more sense of worth putting on their sports team's jersey. Or they get a more sense of their worth from the job and riches that they have. Or the approval that they can receive from the outside world. Let me try illustrating it like this. That sometimes we, we talk the talk, but we never walk in a manner that's worthy then. A friend of mine who was once planting a church in Texas somewhere. I'll leave it as vague as that and let you guess which area. As he was planting a church, he would wake up early in the morning and he would go to a Starbucks and set up shop. And one of the mornings that he was there, there was a group of older men getting together and all he could hear them saying was about just how this world is ending and how this world is just going to smithereens. How the political system is jacked up and messed up and if only we could have some type of great reset. And as they continued to just lean into that and lean into that, one of the men gets up and then goes to the front and says to the barista, we're about to pray. Can we pray for you at all? And the barista looks at him and says, why would I want you to pray for me after I just heard all of the ways that you were complaining about people? That doesn't seem like something Jesus would do. Have you put on the jersey of a kingdom citizen and yet not walking the walk? Have you put on this jersey and yet people would notice you more for what you do work-wise? Or would they recognize you more of your political leanings and standings? Or would they know more about your favorite sports team? So why do we walk in a worthy manner? That would be the next great question, wouldn't it? You walk in a worthy manner because you have been called. There's a great temptation here that I want to warn us of. And I think this is serious for us and this is serious for the church. You aren't worthy because you follow God or do Christian things. Let me say that again for us. You are not worthy because you follow God or do Christian things. If we mess this up and get this backwards, this is the I do this so this is done. And the church 
seems to be plagued by this. And you can read church history, look throughout centuries and see how the church naturally gravitates towards this. Christians naturally gravitate towards this. We want our worth in what we do so that way we can offer something to God. But as soon as we start looking at what we do being worthy, then we get cold, dead religion. If you're here this morning, please hear this. There is nothing that you could do to earn the approval of God. There's nothing that you could do here in this life that will make you worthy in His sight. His Word tells us that our good works are like filthy rags. So what makes you worthy then? What makes us to walk in a manner that is worthy? It's our calling. And this is another thing that I feel that we need to take just a step back because we at times tend to think of calling in a very 21st century American way, don't we? What am I called to? So Max, if I'm following your logic, we walk in a manner that is worthy to the calling with which we've been called to. If I just knew my calling that I've been called to, then I can walk in a manner that's worthy. But I don't know what I've been called to. Have I been called to parenthood? I don't know. I kind of like kids, but you know, I've seen how parents talk about their kids. Am I called to this job here in Appleton? Or, or maybe that one over in Oshkosh? Or maybe I'm supposed to pack up my bags and move across country? Is that my calling? Most of the time in Scripture, when we read about calling, it's not, it's not a calling for you to go and do something. Instead, just like what Paul is saying here, it's a calling to be something. Right here, what Paul is doing once again is he is realigning their identity. I mean, it's almost as if Paul is saying they've got some type of identity amnesia, that they keep on forgetting their identity because he's just working this out by reminding them over and over. So what makes us walk in a manner worthy is that we have been called to be So what is the calling that we have been called to? I'm tempted to read chapters 1 through 3, but I won't. If you'd like to go home and read chapters 1 through 3, then do it. This is the calling that we've been called to. In chapter 2, we have been called out of spiritual deadness and to spiritual life. And this wasn't... Our own doing, it was the free gift of God's grace. We've been called to spiritual life in Christ. It is a call to a personal relationship with your heavenly Creator. This is what we have been now called to, and this is why we walk in a manner that is worthy to this calling, because we've been called out of spiritual deadness and into spiritual life. Do you remember what it was like being spiritually dead? 
Do you remember the, the hopelessness that you felt? The constantness of grasping at things here on earth just to make you feel some sense of worth and approval? Do you re- remember grasping at sin, thinking that it would satisfy you and fill you up only to keep on letting you down? Do you remember that spiritual deadness? That's what we've been called out of. We've been called out of that. We've been called out of darkness and we've been placed in God's marvelous light. It's a calling to a personal relationship. We, we see in chapter 1, it's a call to the spiritual blessings. All spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This is what we've been called to. We've been called to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We've been called to be family members, to be sons and daughters. We've been called God's dwelling place. And so as Paul transitions into the next three chapters, he's now calling us and reminding us of this calling that we've been called to so that we walk in a manner worthy of this calling. So simply put, this is what Paul is telling us, is that Christians should live out what they believe. (laughs) Imagine that. You, if you are in here this morning, and you are in Christ and profess Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, Paul is calling you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling that you've been called to. This is why he prays for them in the way he does at the end of chapter 3. That they would experience the power of God and that they would know the surpassing love of Christ. You see, some people love to pit Paul and James against each other and you can't help but look at this letter and say, It's faith and works. Your faith leads you to works. It's Jesus has done this for you. Now do this for your great King. Jesus has died for our sins, He's paid the penalty. For every sin that you have committed, past, present, and future, Christ has paid for it. There is not one sin, if you are in Christ, that can be held against you on Judgment Day. He paid for all of it so that when you trust in Him, you would receive the righteousness. You would receive Christ's righteousness. And so here is my urgent, and when I mean urgent, I mean urgent warning to us this morning. If you have no desire, and you've never had a desire to walk in a manner worthy of this calling that you have been called to, you are not truly born again. If the same sin continues to plague you over and over and you have no desire to ever deal with that sin and put it to death 
and to walk in a manner worthy of your king, then you are not born again. You have not experienced conversion. If you have claimed Christ for five years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, and yet your life never has been one of where you walk it out, but you just show up on Sundays. You even at times read your Bible or pray. And yet you never walk out your faith. You are not born again. And you need to repent now before it's too late. Turn to Christ. Because on judgment day, God will look at you and you may say, well, I went to church. I prayed prayers. And yet he will look at you and say, depart from me, you wicked servant, for I never knew you. You cannot just say that you are on the team. You cannot just talk the talk as if the Christian faith is just spouting out a bunch of information and knowledge, you must walk the walk as well. Your faith must lead to good works. So then how do I walk it out? Paul shows us and he tells us. He gives us five different ways that we can ask this question. The first we see is humility. The second is gentleness. The third is patience. The fourth is putting up or bearing with one another in love. And the last one is being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, of the bond of peace. Why do we maintain humility? Or or why is the one who has faith in Christ, why does it lead them to greater humility? Because it shows our Savior. It shows us King Jesus, who did not look at his own interests as more highly than ours, but instead took on flesh. He humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient to the point of death. So we walk in a manner worthy to the calling with which we've been called to as we grow in humility. We look at gentleness, and here gentleness is not meekness. Gentleness here is gentleness. It's not passivity. It's not not confronting. But it's not blowing up in anger. It's growing in gentleness and pursuing relationships even if there are awkward and hard conversations that need to be had where you don't blow up on the other person. 
patience. As our Heavenly Father has been patient with us time and time again, I don't know about you, but I can't help but at times think, Max, you are a complete doofus. How can God be so patient with you? And yet I met with more patience. This new identity in Christ will lead to being more patient with others. As Paul then continues on and he says, bearing with one another or putting up with one another in love. Look, if you haven't figured this out yet, the Christian faith is hard when it's done with a bunch of other people. Because personalities rub us the wrong way. It doesn't matter if you're the most sanctified person in the room. There are personalities that will rub you the wrong way. There are people who will get underneath your skin. There are ways that people will communicate. And yet we are to bear with one another in love, which then leads to the last one. We are eager. Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This new identity in Christ, it leads to walking in a manner worthy in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in bearing with one another in love, and in eagerly pursuing unity. So then, so then let's ask this last question before we conclude. How, how should we live then in light of this? If if right here, chapters 1 through 3, Paul is reminding me of my identity that I have in Christ. And he's quite literally giving me my motivation of why I should obey because God's love is so great for me. I want to do this. I desire to do this. How should we live? You notice at all in these three verses how, how Paul starts with a very specific individualized relationship with Christ. But then in verses 2 and 3, he broadens that from the individual to the corporate. It moves away just from myself and it moves outwards towards this sanctification or this walking in a manner worthy of the calling I've been called to is done Corporately. So what's the first way? How should we live? First is honesty. We must be honest with ourselves. And we must be honest with one another. This is all I could ever ask of you. Is to be honest is to be honest with where you are at right now at this point in your life. I'm not asking for introspection which leads to self-loathing and condemnation. That's not the honesty that I'm asking for. I'm not asking for an honesty that leaves you at the end of Romans 7 where you say, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. I'm just, a, I'm just a mess. I'm just a loser. That's not what I'm asking. That's not the honesty that I'm asking you and myself to live into. I'm asking for serious self-reflection 
so that way we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling together as a body. So honesty. Honesty with asking the question, do you walk worthy of the manner that you've been called to? Or has there been something that's been holding you back? Is there confession that needs to take place? Is there a lack of desire that you need to go to somebody and ask them, I I need help, I want prayer. I need accountability. We need to be honest with one another as we walk in this manner. And the second is that we're better together. Christianity is not an individualistic type of religion. We are better together. Why are we better together? Because we are more sneaky and we make more excuses than we want to give ourselves credit for. It is easy to be a Christian and never interact with anybody else. That's easy. It's a lot harder when you commit yourself to a body and you consistently try to interact with that body. Why is that? Because you are opening yourself up to accountability. You are opening yourself up for your brothers and sisters to speak into you in such a way where they care about your conduct, where they care about you walking in a worthy manner. We are better together. And so we need to be committed to one another. That lasts more than just a couple of hours. On a certain day of the week, before the weekday starts, after a Saturday, before a Monday. We need to be committed to each other. Christian, uh, here's my challenge to you and here's my promise. This isn't in my notes and not a part of my conclusion. So be careful here. If you get on the path and take this journey to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling that you've been called to, you will not regret it. It will be hard. At times it might even be painful. But it will be the most exhilarating and beneficial journey that you could ever take in your lifetime. Because we're in this together. We're in this for the glory of our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. That just as Ezekiel prophesied over those dry bones, you breathed new life into us. Please, Father, 
Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called us to in all humility and patience and gentleness, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen.